Well, Father, we do thank you again for blessing us with this day and this opportunity to once again gather in your name and sit at your feet at the throne room of God so that we can feast on your word, that we can know and understand the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of God so that we may be affected today in light of what we know is coming tomorrow. So we pray, God, as we open up your word, may you open up our hearts and minds, our eyes and ears, that we may understand and perceive that which you would have us to know and to believe and to not only hear, but to apply and practice what we hear today. Not only that we may be blessed by it, but we may also be a blessing because of it. So we pray that you will watch over your word today. See that it performs what you have purposed and intended it to do even before the foundation of the world. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, honor, and praise for it. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Everybody said together, amen. Amen. Well, our series for tonight we've been on is called Sneak Peek, okay? Sneak Peek, and that is because what we've been doing throughout this month is we've been pulling back the curtain or we've been going behind the veil to see what is on the other side of this life, or more specific, specifically, what is, um, what can we expect with the afterlife, okay? When we leave this life, when we leave this world, what exactly is it can we expect? And I believe um, this particular topic takes on a sense of urgency in light of the recent events with uh, the untimely demise of Kobe Bryant. I'm sure by now all of us have seen and heard the news of uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter and eight uh, or seven other passengers in his helicopter uh, being killed last Sunday. And for some reason, this particular death has gripped the world like no other celebrity has. I mean, this is not the first time a celebrity has died, certainly not the first time an athlete has died, but for whatever reason, this particular death has affected so many, uh, so much, and it causes us to pause and to ponder and wonder why exactly that is. Some, some compared it to when uh, Dr. King or JFK was assassinated or 9-11 where you really didn't know the people, but yet it still affected you somehow in some way. And so people have been kind of racking their minds, their brains, trying to figure out why did this particular death impact and affect us uh, in such a way? Well, I believe there are a few reasons why this is. Number one, I believe because Kobe Bryant really was a great guy. And if you were here last week, we told you there is no good person, right? The Bible says there is none who are good, no, not one. But by our standards <laughs> and perhaps by our definition, Kobe was a great guy, okay? Now, he wasn't perfect, obviously. He had his faults. He had his scandals, obviously. But all in all, he was a brand name, a household name. He was somebody that you didn't know, but you felt like you did know. And you wouldn't mind getting to know and hanging out with. And so because that's how he was and that's who he was, I think it impacted us differently than if another celebrity or athlete had passed away. Secondly, because he is such a great guy and 
not only was he a great athlete, but he went beyond that. He was going into his second part of his life, and he was attacking the second part of his life just like he did with basketball. Uh, but that let us know when, when Kobe died that death does not discriminate, okay? I think that's another reason why this particular death hit us so hard because it let us know, it reminded us that death does not discriminate. Kobe Bryant would have been the last person we would have thought would have been killed uh, in that way. And that's why we were so uh, much of, of a shock to us when we read it. We couldn't believe it. We thought it was a hoax. We thought somebody was playing around and playing a joke because anybody else, we would say, okay, I get that. You know, uh, um, uh, Dennis Rodman, okay, if he would have died, okay, we would say, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but, but Kobe Bryant, he's not a partier. He's not a drinker. He's not uh, in the drugs and party. He's a family man, and he takes care of his wife and his children. And, and I mean, anybody but Kobe, I mean, he, uh, he just, he's not the guy we'd have thought would have been killed and would have been taken out of this world uh, in the way that he was. But it lets us know that death does not discriminate. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have or how old you are, how young you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. It does not matter. Death does not discriminate. If death could take Kobe out, death can take any one of us out at any time. And I think that's one of the reasons why it impacted us so much because we were faced with the conclusion that death does not discriminate. If death could take Kobe out just like that, death could take us out as well. But I think the third reason, again, is why it impacted us so much because, again, we were reminded of how vulnerable we all truly are. When 9-11 happened, the reason why 9-11 was such a big deal to the entire world was not because they attacked America, because it let us know how vulnerable we truly are. That at any time, at any moment, any one of us can be taken out of this life, taken out of this world, and into the life to come. I like the way James 4 puts it. In James 4, starting in verse 13, it says this. Come now, or the way we would say it in today's vernacular, come on now, okay? <laughs> come on now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. James says, come on now, why are you talking that way? <laughs> Come on now, how, how can you be so arrogant to say what you're going to do a year from now? He says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. <laughs> you are planning an entire year and you don't even know if you will be here tomorrow. I am sure Kobe didn't think that that day was his last day on earth. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't kiss his wife and say, goodbye, I love you, it's been great knowing you, being great married to you. I'm sure that wasn't the conversation he had because he didn't know that Sunday was going to be his last day on this earth. And we too don't think that. We will plan our life out. We will plan uh, a year in advance and not even realize, we don't even know if we have tomorrow or not. 
You know, one of the things one of the commentators were, was talking about, because there's been a lot of death that's been going around recently, but one of uh, Tony Evans' wife, uh, Lois Evans. And Tony, he gets up and, of course, uh, he talks about his wife, but he begins then to talk about the plans that they had. They've been together since they were 18 years old, and since 18, they've been ripping and running for the ministry in the kingdom of God. So they finally have a conversation. They say, you know, can we take some time off now? I mean, the church has grown and it's established and we have people who can fill in for us. Can we just say no to some visitations and uh, some guest appearances at other churches? Can we just kind of relax, take it easy, take some vacations, see the world? And they said, yes, absolutely. Not knowing that they would never get to experience that moment. Because we do not know the last day we will spend on this earth. So he says here, you do not know what will even happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That's what God describes your life. That is what God describes my life as being. It is but a vapor that is here for a moment and then it vanishes away. So he says this, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. (laughs) That's how we ought to be talking. If the Lord wills, we will do this. If the Lord wills, we do this, or kind of the saying that we have now, if the Lord says the same, (laughs) I'll see you next week if the Lord says the same. (laughs) I'll go and live at that city if the Lord says the same, because I do not know what God has for me tomorrow, let alone next week, next month, or next year. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. God calls this way of thinking prideful. He calls this way of thinking boastful. He calls this way of thinking arrogant. He goes to call it even wicked or evil or sin. Why? Because it causes us to take life for granted. That's why. It causes us to think that we are in control of our life. That we can determine how long we stay here. God says that is wicked, that is evil, because that is prideful. God has given you your life. God has put the breath in your body. And one day God is going to call that back to himself. And so we say, if it is his will, we will do that. And that's why the wisest man ever to live outside of Jesus Christ, Solomon, he says this in Ecclesiastes 7.2. Ecclesiastes 7.2, he says, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. He says it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party. (laughs) Now, to us, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Not many of us in here like going to funerals, okay? (laughs) Funeral is the last place we want to go to. Would you rather go to the Super Bowl party this Sunday or you want to go to a funeral? I picked the Super Bowl party, right? (laughs) I want to go to the party. But Solomon said, better for you to go to a funeral than a party. Better for you to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Why does the wisest man who ever lived say that? He says, for that is the end of all men. 
and the living will take it to heart. When you go to a party, you're not thinking about death. When you go to a party, you're not thinking about your demise. When you go to a party, you're not thinking about you leaving this world, but go to a funeral. (laughs) Go to a house of mourning. Go to a place of mourning, and you are reminded of your own mortality. You are reminded that you are but a vapor, and just like they went, you could go as well. You are reminded of that. Therefore, you want to ready yourself. You want to prepare yourself because you know that your life is just a vapor as well. And if death could take Kobe out, who am I that death wouldn't take me out? So when it comes to the reality of leaving this world, God wants you to know what you can expect. He doesn't say, well, you just got to wait until you get there. He doesn't say, I'm just going to keep it a secret. It's a mystery. No, he wants you to know what to expect when you're expecting to leave this world. He wants you to know that, you know, whenever we plan a vacation, we will do this, right? We will plan in advance and we will try and figure out what it is that our vacation is going to hold. So we'll get online and we'll look at the hotel, right? What hotel am I going to stay in? What amenities do they have? Do they have a pool? What, what's around them? What restaurants can we visit? What itinerary do we have? We plan our visit so that when we get there, there's no surprise, <laughs> When we get there, it is as we expected it to be. We don't want to just get there and be surprised because we could be also disappointed once we get there. If we are willing to do that for a vacation, (laughs) how much more should we be willing to do that for all of eternity that we will spend there? God wants you to know what to expect when you are expecting to leave this world because guess what? Should the Lord tarry, every single one of us will. No one leaves this life alive. You will eventually leave this world through death if Jesus continues to tarry. So that's what this particular series has been on. We've been giving you what to expect when you are expecting to leave this world. And If you haven't been here, this is what we covered. Now we know that, number one, this life will end eventually. Number two, when it does end, there is no mediation. There is no annihilation. There is no cessation. There is no reincarnation. There is only separation between damnation and glorification. And the determination of one's destination is reconciliation. (laughs) That is what we have learned about the afterlife, okay? That good, goodness is the standard of God, perfection is the standard of God, and since none of us are perfect, we must be reconciled back to God through our faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. That is the only way we can know that we can expect glorification rather than damnation, okay? So now that we know all of that, we are now able to start answering the four questions that prompted this particular series in the first place. And if you don't remember, these were the four questions that you guys asked about the afterlife. Question number one, what happened to the Christians who died before the cross? What is paradise And what is the third heaven? I know Christians who believe in Jesus Christ and the cross, 
they go to heaven. They're in the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But what happened to all the people before the cross? Okay, that was question number one. Question number two, is the lion laying down with the lamb biblical? I see it in pictures. I see it in artwork. I see it in uh, statues and all. Is this truly biblical? If so, where is it? And if so, what does it mean? That is the second question. Question number three, is purgatory real? Is purgatory real? And if so, what is it? And then question number four, if I deny Christ in order to save my life, will I go to hell or will God understand? Those are the four questions we have. Now, obviously, we can't answer all of those tonight because I can expound on each and every one of those and have a full message, a full sermon on each of those questions. Okay, so rather than just giving a little dab for each and not giving each one its justice, its due. I figure we would just answer uh, each one, one at a time, until we've completed the list. Is that all right? So that's what we're going to do today. So this is part four of our series, Sneak Peek, and we're entitling it Judgment Day Q&A. Okay? Judgment Day Q&A, and this is question number one. What happened to the Christians who died before the cross What is paradise and the third heaven? Well, to answer this question, we have to go to our first scripture, a text you know, probably you can repeat verbatim, but John 3.16. Everybody turn to John 3.16 real quick. In John 3.16... God says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish or go to damnation, but have everlasting life. Glorification. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why Jesus Christ came but that the world through him might be saved. We know this scripture. We can quote it by heart. We understand this is the gospel message. This is what the gospel entails, that God so loved the world, he so loved humanity, that he wanted to save humanity, so he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for humanity, so that whoever believes in Jesus Christ, whoever turns to Jesus Christ, and puts their hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they will be saved, they will be glorified, or go into glorification, and be with God forevermore. That is the gospel message. So if we are saved by Jesus, if that is true, if we are saved by Jesus, if Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. I am the door. If that is true, then you can understand this question. (laughs) If Jesus Christ is the only way that somebody is saved, If Jesus Christ is the only way somebody gets to go to heaven, you can then understand where this question's coming from. Because you're in your mind, you're thinking, well, Jesus Christ came around 2,000 years ago. There were people who were living thousands of years before that. (laughs) So what happened 
to uh, to the people before Jesus came. We know that God gave his son, God sent his son, but what about those who missed his son? That is the heart of the question. That is where this question is coming from. So now that you know that, let's answer it. Remember, the son, Jesus Christ, is eternal and everlasting. That means he had no beginning and he has no end. Jesus Christ has always been. Jesus Christ is the one the Bible speaks of who was, who is, and who is to come. (laughs) He is creator. He is not created. (laughs) For the Bible says all things were created by him, Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus Christ is eternal. He is everlasting. He has always been. He did not get his start in, in a manger Uh, In Bethlehem. That is not where Jesus Christ got his start. In Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah says it this way. We usually quote this during Christmas time. But Isaiah 9, 6 says this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. (laughs) In other words, the only reason the child was born was because the son was given. The child was born 2,000 years ago, but the son has always been. The son is eternal. The son is everlasting. He has always been. So 2,000 years ago wasn't when he got his start. That was when he got his start in the flesh. (laughs) 2,000 years ago is when Jesus Christ got his start in the flesh but not when he got his start. How do we know this? Well, go to John 1. Go to John chapter 1. John 1, 1, John says this. In the what? Beginning. (laughs) In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And watch this. And the word was God. Oh, so we're not just talking about letters on paper anymore. (laughs) That's not what the Bible is referring to when it's talking about the word, because it says the word was with God. But then it says, and the word was God. And then it says he. Oh, watch that. The pronoun just changed. (laughs) It didn't say it. (laughs) It said he was in the beginning with God. He, the word, was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, the word. And without him, the word, nothing was made that was made. And in him, the word, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Who is the Bible talking about there? Who is John referring to there? He is referring to Jesus. (laughs) He is referring to Jesus, which lets us know that Jesus did not get his start in Bethlehem because John says Jesus was in the beginning. (laughs) 
In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and he saw that it was void and without form and darkness hovered over it, then he spoke and said, let there be light. And who entered? Jesus. Jesus is the word he spoke. Jesus is the light and the darkness could not comprehend it. Jesus has always been even from the beginning, even before the beginning. So this is all talking about when, the beginning. And it is before verse 14. If you go down to verse 14, it becomes even clearer that John is referring to Jesus Christ because it says in John 1:14, and the word, the one I just got through mentioning, describing, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, who did that? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was the word that became flesh as a little baby, as a child, and dwelt among us. So Jesus has always been, even from the beginning, before he was in human form, he still was, he was just in a different form. (laughs) You know, sometimes when you have work and you wanting to send that work out, it will ask you, what form do you want to send this word? You want to send it in a word format? Want to send it in a PDF? Well, it's the same work, okay? They're just going to receive it in a different way. But it's the same work you have on your computer. Same thing with God. Same thing with Jesus Christ. Jesus just came in the form of humanity. But that wasn't his only form. (laughs) He was also in the form of the word. He was in the form of the spirit. He was in a form of God because he has always been even from the beginning. So that's point number one you need to consider. Point number two, secondly, remember with God there is no time. (laughs) Remember with God there is no time. We have time. We operate by time because we are in time. God is not in time. Time is a created thing. Okay, secular scientists will tell you now that time, uh, mass, space all had a beginning. Well, if you had a beginning, that means it had a beginning of time. Okay, it was created. So there is a point in time when time began and there's a point when time will end. So that means whoever created time has to be outside of time. (laughs) And that is God the eternal being. That's why he says, to me, a day is but a thousand years and a thousand years is but a day. Why? Because time is irrelevant with God. (laughs) Time is absolutely irrelevant with God. So that's why when we're holding our breath and stomping our feet and getting mad at God because it's taking so long, that's irrelevant to God. (laughs) God said, I'm not moved by clocks and calendars, okay? That's not how I move. I'm moved by my purpose, (laughs) And when my purpose is being done, I'll move. It's been 2,000 years, God. You said you were coming back. You haven't come back. Oh, really? It only seems like a day to me. Because <laughs> a, a, a thousand years is but a day. Time is of no essence to God because God is outside of time. There is no past with God. There is no future with God. There just is with God. <laughs> just is. What does this have to do with Jesus and those who didn't know Jesus uh, when he died? Well, if you go to Revelation 13, Revelation 13, 8, 
The Bible here is going to describe the time of the Antichrist, okay? The time of the Antichrist where all the world is going to bow down and worship the Antichrist and take the mark of the beast. But notice what he says here at the end. In Revelation 13, 8, it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, the beast, the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of life, watch this, of the lamb slain a thousand years ago, hundred years ago, no, uh, of the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. John here says that Jesus Christ was slain or was crucified from the foundation of the world, <laughs> from the beginning. Before the world even came into existence, John says Jesus Christ was slain. How can uh, John say that? How can John say that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world or from the foundation of the world when he knows it was just about 60 years ago, 40 years ago that Jesus Christ was crucified? Because with God, there is no time. With God, there just is. <laughs> so what God did through Jesus Christ, it just is. It's not in the past. It's not in the future. It just is. <laughs> So there is no past, there is no future of what God did. It's just what God did. Because God is outside of time, everything he does concerning him is outside of time. He applies it in time, but to him, to his perspective, it has no time. So John, simply by the Spirit of God, says that the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world, or before the foundation of the world. So the way that people were saved, watch this, here it is. The way that people were saved before the cross is the very same way people were saved after the cross. <laughs> How are people saved now? How are people saved today? How are you saved? If you are saved today, if you know that you're going to heaven because you put your trust, your hope, your faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross, how are you saved? Because you what? Believe. <laughs> it is because you believe. You believe in Jesus Christ, who is what? The word of God. And because you believe in Jesus, because you believe in the word of God, you are saved because of that. Well, the way that you are saved today is the same way they were saved way back when. It's the way Abraham was saved. The Bible says, and Abraham believed God and he accounted unto him righteousness. Not because of anything he did or didn't do, simply because he believed. He believed in God through the word of God that was presented to him. People have this question all the time. If Jesus is the only way, if Jesus is the way you're saved, then how do people in the jungles of Africa <laughs> who've never heard of Jesus Christ, who've never seen a Bible, never gone to a church, how are they saved? The same way. The amount of knowledge or the amount of revelation that one has is what they are judged on. 
Jesus said, had I not come to them and done the works and performed the miracles and spoken the words that I did, they would be without sin. Wait a minute. How can anybody be without sin? Because the Bible says sin is to know to do right and not do it. So if it never came to them, God said they would have no sin. But now that the revelation has come, now you're accountable. Now that the revelation has come to you, now you are accountable for the revelation that you have. Again, that's why it's very dangerous to go to a church like this. Because when you hear the truth, you must make a decision about the truth. Because now you're accountable for the truth. So God will judge those people in the jungles of Africa with whatever knowledge, whatever revelation they have, even if it's just creation. Even if it's just having a conscience of knowing what's right and wrong, good and bad. Whatever amount of revelation that person has, that is what God is going to base it on. And it is the same way in the Old Testament. Whatever knowledge, whatever information, whatever word they had, that is what God based it on. And so if his word came, it was Jesus coming. Why? Because Jesus is the word. So the very same way we were Saved today is the exact same way they were saved before the cross. Thirdly, that means this. Just like we look back in time to what Jesus did do, they simply look where? Forward (laughs) to what Jesus would do. Okay, We weren't there when Jesus died. We weren't at, at the crucifixion. So what we do in 21st century saints, we look back (laughs) to what Jesus did do and we believe they weren't there when Jesus died. So what do they do? They look forward (laughs) to what Jesus would do and they believe you say, well, wait a minute. How do they know what Jesus would do? Well, it is why we believe that Adam is saved. Okay. People have this question, too. Is Adam saved? I mean, Adam was the one who started this whole mess, right? (laughs) He disobeyed God. He ate from the forbidden tree. He's the one who became sin and passed sin on to us and brought sin upon this world. And so after doing all that, is Adam saved? Absolutely. How do you know that Adam is saved, though? (laughs) How do you know that Adam is saved? It's because he believed in the word of God. And he looked forward to what God would do. How do you know that? (laughs) How do you know that? Well, go with me to Genesis 3. Let's go back to the garden. Let's take a trip back to the garden. This, of course, is after Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. They rebelled against God. They listened to Satan rather than God. And death takes place, just like God said. Separation from him. His spirit separated from their spirit. They died when they disobeyed and became sinful beings. But God is not done with them. And the way you know that God is not done with them is because God shows up. (laughs) This is like a coach getting after a player. They say, look, if I didn't care about you, I would leave you alone. (laughs) If I didn't care about you, I would leave you alone and let you do whatever you're going to do. But it's because I care about you, I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to get in your grill. I'm going to be in your business. I'm going to 
be on your back. Why? It's because I care about you. It's because I love you. If God didn't care any more about humanity or any more about Adam and Eve, he would have left them in the state that they were in. But because he loves them and has a plan for them, he shows up to deal with the mess that they have now made. And he first addresses Satan. And in verse 15 of Genesis 3, he says this to Satan. And I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is God describing there? The crucifixion. What is God describing here? He is saying there's going to be the seed that's going to come from the woman. And even though you are going to bruise his heel, he's going to suffer from what he's going to do. He is actually going to crush your head. He is actually going to take back what you have stolen here today, Satan. And so what God was doing, he was giving the promise of the crucifixion, the promise of what Jesus Christ would do in time, even though he's already done it in God's perspective before the foundation of the world. And so all Adam would have to know and do and uh, to be saved is believe that. <laughs> all he has to do is believe in that word that has come to him about the Savior. That's all he has to do in order to be saved. Well, did Adam believe? Did Adam believe in this word? Did Adam believe in this promise that God made? Absolutely he did. Okay, pass again. <laughs> How do you know <laughs> that Adam believed? Well, verse 20 lets us know how he, we know he believed. In verse 20 it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of of all living things. Let me ask you a question. Who named the woman, woman? Who did that? Adam. <laughs> Adam named the woman, woman. Check your Bible if you don't believe me. Okay, go back to chapter 2. <laughs> go back to chapter 2. God comes to Adam. He says, look, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create for him a helpmate comparable to him so he then made all of the animals he made all the beasts of the field and he brought those to Adam to see what Adam would name them and Adam began to name all the animals but for Adam there wasn't a helper or helpmate comparable to him so God says he causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He takes a rib from his side. He goes and he forms and fashions the woman. And then he brings the woman to Adam to see what Adam will call her. And the Bible says, and Adam called her woman. Adam named her woman or man with a wound. That's what woman means, okay? Woman is man with a womb. And he says, I call her woman for she was taken out of man. She is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So it was Adam that named the woman woman. 
But now after the fall, now after they sin, now that death has come to them, now that they've been separated from the presence of God, now that the word of God, which is Jesus Christ, has come to them, now that they have heard of the promise, he now shows that he believes in the promise. How does he show that he believes in the promise? Because he changes her name. Adam now changes her name. He no longer calls her woman. He calls her what? Eve. God didn't name Eve Eve. The Bible says Adam <laughs> named Eve Eve. Why did he name her Eve? Because Eve means mother of all. Mother of all. In other words, he says, what God just told me, I believe. God just told me that the seed from the woman is going to come one day. Well, the only way the seed of a woman can come one day is we be able to populate the earth. We be able to have children because right now we're the only human beings on earth. <laughs> so in order for God's promises to come to pass, in order for God's promises to be fulfilled, we got to be able to continue this thing, which means God's not done with us. God is going to do what he said he was going to do. And I believe it so much, I'm going to stop calling you woman. I'm going to start calling you Eve. Because you are going to be the mother of everybody. Just like why God stopped calling Abram, Abram, and started calling him Abraham, father of many nations, because that's exactly what he would be. So by Adam changing his wife's name to Eve, he shows that he believes in the word of God which is Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're going to see Adam in heaven. <laughs> Adam is saved because that's how anybody is ever saved. You are saved by believing in the word or the revelation that has come to you. You say, okay, well, that lets us know how they were saved. They were saved the same way. But the question is, did they go to the same place? Remember, that's the original question. Where did the saints of old go when they died before the cross? They believe in God. They believe in the word of God. But Jesus Christ hasn't died yet. So where did they go? Well, there are two schools of thought to this particular question. Okay, The answer to this question comes from two schools of thought. I personally believe that it is a moot point. Okay, <laughs> Whichever side you pick, whatever school you, you choose to enroll in, I believe it is a moot point, and I'm going to let you know why it is as we explain this. But there are two schools of thought to where the saints of old went after they died before Jesus Christ came in time. There are two words that you need to consider. The two words are paradise and third heaven. Paradise and third heaven. Again, these were the two words found in our original question as well. So what is paradise and what is the third heaven? Some argue that they are different. Okay? Paradise is different from heaven or the third heaven. The third heaven is different from paradise. Some people argue that these two words, these two places are different. Okay? They would say paradise is Abraham's bosom found in Luke 16. Okay? If you go back to the story of Luke 16, where the Bible says a rich man died, lifts his eyes up in hell or in Hades, 
He sees Lazarus who's already died. He is in Abraham's bosom being comforted. And they would call that paradise. Remember, the grave, Shell or Hades, it's simply the grave where all of the dead went. But the grave was divided into either two compartments or two different places. A place of torment and a place of comfort. So there are those who would say and believe paradise is Abraham's bosom or where Lazarus was or where all the saints of old went. When they went to the grave, they went to Shell or Hades, but they went to the compartment or the place of comfort, okay? That's what they would say, okay? And it is what they would say Jesus was referring to when he was telling the thief on the cross, you're now saved. When he is dying on that cross and that thief says, don't you fear God? <laughs> we deserve to be up here for our sin, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Master, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. What was Jesus' response? I tell you, this day you will be with me where? In paradise. So the question is, where was he talking about? Okay. What is paradise? There are those who would say it was Abraham's bosom. Those who would say this is where the saints of old went when they died before Jesus Christ came in time. Scripture that would uh, back this up or support it is Ephesians 4.8. Ephesians 4.8. Ephesians 4.8. It says this, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. So the first school of thought that believes that paradise is a different place from heaven, they would say what happened when Jesus died was he first descended to Sheol or Hades. Okay? But he did not go to the place of torment. Okay, Jesus Christ did not go to hell to suffer in hell for your sin. That is not at all biblical or accurate. What the first school of thought will say is he went to shell, he went to the grave, but he went to Abraham's bosom. He went to the, the compartment of comfort. He went to go let out all the saints who died believing in God, believing in the word of God, which they believe in Jesus because he's the word. They went to this place of comfort, paradise, Abraham's bosom. So he descended down into the grave, went to Abraham's bosom or paradise or that compartment and said, all right, fellas, I paid the price for your sin time ago. And he led captivity captive. So he first descended into the lower parts. He then ascended, and the Bible says, far above all the heavens. So wait a minute. <laughs> I thought there was just one heaven. <laughs> there's heaven and there's hell. But no, the Bible says he ascended far above all the heavens, plural. So now we're getting closer to what the third heaven is, right? Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> So he went to the grave, he went to Abraham's bosom or to what many consider to be paradise. Matthew 27, 50 would further support, the, support this point of view. In Matthew 27, 50, notice what it says. 
And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is when he's on the cross. He dies. He yields up his spirit. That means his spirit separates from his body, just like what happens to all of us when we die. Our spirit separates from our body. When he yielded up his spirit, it says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Watch this. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. (laughs) So the Bible is saying after Jesus Christ resurrected or raised from the dead, he wasn't the only one. (laughs) Many saints of old got up out of the grave with him. Which means that he must have descended in those three days. Got the keys of death held in the grave from Satan. Took the saints of old out of that compartment of Abraham's bosom. They all rise together. They show themselves in the holy city before rising to heaven. This is what the first school would say. Then he took them, Ephesians 4 says, far above the heavens, which again alludes to different heavens or multiple heavens that will answer the question, what is the third heaven? The Bible talks about the birds of the heavens, right? The birds of the heavens. Well, what is it talking about? Well, it's, of course, talking about our atmosphere, our sky, where the clouds are, okay? That would be considered the first heaven. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Heavens, plural. So the first heaven would be the sky, our atmosphere. The Bible also talks about celestial bodies. Celestial bodies of stars and of planets. So in other words, it's talking about or describing not the atmosphere, but the stratosphere. Okay, The stratosphere, space. So that would be considered the second heaven. Beyond the atmosphere and beyond the stratosphere, you get the very presence of God, the dwelling place of God. That would be what is considered the third heaven. How do we know this? We'll go to 2 Corinthians 12. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is going to describe to us an experience that he had. 2 Corinthians 12, 2, Paul says this, I know a man in Christ. Now, he's speaking in the third person, but he's talking about himself. He's trying not to boast. He's, not, he's trying not to be proudful or prideful. That's why if you further read, he talks about the thorn in his flesh given to him. He's talking about himself, but he's not using himself to describe himself because he wants to remain humble. But he says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. I don't know if this was a dream. I don't know if this was a vision, or I don't know if I was physically taken to this place. He says, God knows, though, such a one was caught up to the what? Third heaven. (laughs) 
Such a one was caught up to the third heaven, not the first heaven where the birds are, not the second heaven where the stars and planets are, the third heaven, the very dwelling place of God. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into where? Paradise. Oh, wait a minute. I thought paradise was Abraham's bosom. (laughs) I thought paradise was where Jesus descended. I thought paradise is in the lower parts, the different compartments in shale or the grave. But Paul here, he says, where I went, the third heaven, is also called paradise. Which means you have those in another school who believes that the third heaven and paradise are the same. That the saints of old really didn't go to uh, uh, lower parts of the earth to wait for Jesus Christ to to come and die for us, they went into heaven. They went into the presence of God immediately. And some examples of that would be Elijah. Elijah, who never died, he was simply caught up. He wasn't taken down. (laughs) He was caught up in the whirlwind to heaven. So you have those who believe that third heaven and paradise are completely different. You have those who believe that third heaven and paradise are the same. And we know this is where God dwells is because he says, when I went to paradise, I heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. I heard things that you wouldn't understand. I saw things you wouldn't believe. And it would be unlawful for me to try even explain it to you. That's how crazy it is. That's how different it is than what we experience here on earth. So according to Paul, the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. But according to Paul, so is paradise. Paradise is also the third heaven or the dwelling place of God. So that is the second school of thought. Everybody, whether after the cross or before the cross, goes into the dwelling place or the presence of God. Again, I say it is a moot point. (laughs) No matter what school of thought you adhere to or believe in, it is a moot point. Why do we say that? Well, because if you go back to Luke 16, if you remember, out of the two men, only one was complaining about where he was. (laughs) Out of Lazarus and the rich man, only one of them was complaining (laughs) about where they were. (laughs) So even if Lazarus was in the lower part, he was still in a place of comfort. He was still in a place where God's presence was, where God's goodness was. The rich man couldn't say the same. He was nowhere near the goodness of God. He was nowhere near the presence of God. So whether you believe paradise is in the lower parts, it's in a place of comfort, or everybody went to heaven even before the cross, moot point. (laughs) Because the point is, you're in the presence of God. You were in the goodness of God because you believed in the word of God which is Jesus Christ. So where did the saints of old go? They went to paradise. That's where they went. (laughs) What is paradise in the third heaven? It's the presence of God. That's what it is. I could have just said that in the beginning, huh? Saved you all that time? (laughs) Go ahead and give the Lord a hand, if you will, please, for his word today.